Hi, I'm Ali Hassan, host of CBC's Laugh Out Loud. Do you like to laugh? Because we're serving up big laughs each week. We feature comedians from across Canada. You might already be fans of some of them, and others might be new discoveries. We record emerging comedians and established pros in front of live audiences all across the country, and we promise that you'll be literally laughing out loud. You can find Laugh Out Loud on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Do you have one of those moments you can point to where you saw something and it changed your life? Not everybody has that. Misty Copeland has one of those moments. She is a highly celebrated and accomplished principal dancer, a ballerina. She was watching a documentary when she saw this dancer called Raven Wilkinson, a black woman dancing in this very prestigious, very white ballet company in the 1950s. And she thought to herself, how have I never heard of this person before? And it changed her life. She'll tell you about Raven's story and about how their careers intertwine. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q. So being named principal dancer at a ballet company means you've really done something. You have reached the pinnacle of your profession. You get the best parts in the biggest ballets. There are very few dancers who make it to that position and even fewer black dancers who make it. Misty Copeland became the first black woman to be named principal dancer at American Ballet Theater in New York. Her promotion had been a long time coming. There were headlines all over the world celebrating her success, but she didn't see that moment as an individual triumph. She saw herself as the continuation of a legacy that started with a dancer called Raven Wilkinson. Raven was the first black woman to join the Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo. This was a prestigious company that performed across the U.S. and Canada in the 50s and 60s. Raven performed alongside white dancers in the Jim Crow South at a time when mixed race partners were not even allowed on television. Okay, she was making history, but nobody was writing it down. Misty was well into her own career when she learned about Raven and vowed to tell her story. So she wrote this book called The Wind at My Back. It's a chronicle of their two careers and their friendship. Here's the first part of my conversation with Misty Copeland. So Misty, you've written about your own career as a dancer before, but I want to know why you wanted to write this book about yourself and the late, great Raven Wilkinson. Mm. You know, I... I've been, as you said, you know, sharing Raven's story for many, many years, you know, on, on any platform that I that I had, um, because I understand the importance of, um, you know, educating people in in the impact that Black people have had on the ballet world and community for so long. Um, but in particular, you know, I think it's an important time Um especially in the United States, you know, post pandemic, I guess, if you can call it that, um, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the uprise of, you know, Black Lives Matter and, and, and the murder of, of George Floyd. Um, I think it's important that we uh, acknowledge and educate, you know, people on, um, you know, the fact that Black people are are not a monolith, and we are so much more than we are often um, given credit for or seen as. And I just think it's so timely to share the importance of mentorship and intergenerational relationships, especially between two Black women. 
Yeah, and also having the chance to see yourself in someone in someone else to see a exactly. path forward. Yeah, so I want to talk about that that moment for you when you first found out who Raven was. You were well into your professional career at American mm-hmm. Ballet Theater. Tell me about the first moment you learned about her story. Oh man, you know, it was one of those boring nights where I probably should have been out at a nightclub enjoying my 20s. <laughs> and uh, in New York City, I think it was like a Saturday night or something and um I, I decided to stay in and and watch this documentary. Um and you know, with the expectation really of just dancers are forever students and so that was kind of my goal for the evening was learning more about this company that really, you know, had such a huge impact uh, on building American ballet, the Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo. I was stunned, you know, an hour and a half into this documentary when this black ballerina came onto the screen and started talking about her experience of dancing in the company. Uh, I had no idea that she existed. I had no idea there was a black woman that ever danced at the Ballet Russe. And then to hear of her, you know, all of the adversity she experienced, you know, the racism, her life being threatened, her career really being cut short in America because of because of those uh, experiences. And it really changed the way that I, I looked at my own career. You know, it literally was in that instant I I recognized that I had a much bigger responsibility than I ever knew I had, uh, you know, not just to be a, a black body on the stage, which in it of itself is a protest, mm-hmm. um, but to use my voice beyond my body, to use my voice to share the stories of other dancers that have come before me, you know, that if I could have such immediate recognition in Raven, I can't imagine those looking at me on the stage day in and day out, you know, on the world stage, you know, and at Lincoln Center, what they feel. I have the shivers. Um, it's really, it's really something. We're going to talk about some of the challenges that that Raven faced and some of the difficulty. But before we get to all that, I really want to know if you can paint a picture for us of what made her so special as a dancer. Mm-hmm. Raven is really everything that we are told Black dancers are not and cannot be. Um, The fact that Raven was known for dancing the principal role of the waltz solo in the ballet Les Sophides, which is uh, a part of the category of ballets called the Ballet Blanc, which translates to white ballets where Black women are, are told they cannot dance those roles. They are not soft enough and ethereal enough. And Raven, that was her signature role. (laughs) Raven was powerful and soft and graceful. She had just these incredibly articulate feet and hands and and the the warmth uh, in her face that I think allowed for everyone to be able to connect and relate to her. You met her for the first time when you were still a soloist at American Ballet Theater, uh, and you write that you felt like your career was stalling at that moment. What was going on at the time that you first met her in person for you? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was maybe going into my fourth year, about to be, enter my fourth year as a soloist, possibly. 
you know, even even being promoted to soloist, it was a huge feat. I mean, I was the only only the second African-American woman to ever reach that position in wow. ABT's history. It felt like almost, you know, they couldn't deny my talent, but they were being forced to make this promotion happen. That was the feeling that I had. So I never truly felt welcomed and that I was thriving and being nurtured as a soloist in the company. I felt like I I wasn't getting the same opportunities as the the other soloists in the company. Um, there were actually corps de ballet members, which is the the rank below soloist, um, who were getting opportunities to do soloist and principal roles before I was. And that's kind of a given. If you're a soloist, you will do soloist roles. Mm. And and I was really just trying to figure out if if ABT was the place for me or if ballet was even what I should be doing. You know, this was the headspace I was in when I met Raven for the first time, you know, though it was such an incredible opportunity to be able to connect with this woman uh, who had paved this path and blazed this trail for me to even be in the position that I was in. I was still, you know, just feeling so um, optimistic about what my future might hold at ABT. Yeah, if you you just said, you know, you were wondering whether even ballet was for you. I mean, that's a that's a big, huge question to ask yourself. Did meeting Raven change that the answer to that question for you? Yes, I mean, she she made me push even harder. She also made me feel like I. I'm just as entitled as anyone else in this company, in in that company at American Ballet Theater or in the ballet community, in the ballet world to to be where I am, to feel that I have and I deserve a fair opportunity to climb the the ranks of the, the ballet institutions. She she made me feel like, yes, this is a place I belong. We do have a deep and rich history within this art form. And um, and I felt like, you know, it's up to me to use this platform, to use American Ballet Theater's platform and all the other platforms that would eventually come um, to speak on my experiences and share so many other stories. Hmm. I want to talk more about Raven's career. But first, I'll just reintroduce you for a second. My guest is Misty Copeland, principal dancer at American Ballet Theater in New York. Her new book is about her mentor, Raven Wilkinson, and it is called The Wind at My Back. So Misty, let's go back in time to talk about Raven's own remarkable career. 1955, she becomes the first Black woman to join Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo. But there were no big headlines or articles about it when it happened. Why not? You know, I think that I think that the company in general, being a European, you know, international company with dancers from all over the globe, I don't know that they even looked at her position in the company as something that was that I don't want to say big of a deal, but it needed to be highlighted. Yeah. Raven was seen and and treated, you know, pretty much by the other dancers as as just another dancer. I mean, of course, she towards the end of her career, she had some issues with the artistic director of the company um, about his, you know, him not really admitting that that there were issues, you know, her being a black woman in the company and and what she experienced, you know, externally from the audience members or, you know, whenever they would tour through the South. But but again, for the most part, um, they embraced her as 
an American dancer. And that's really what Raven was so proud of and that she made sure whoever, you know, whenever the topic came up about her nationality, um, you know, she made sure that, you know, I'm an American, um, American first and foremost. Yeah, I found that really stunning in the book. There were a number of times where that was her response to mm-hmm. any, um, I guess, implication of, of racism or somebody sort of w- mm-hmm. winking and saying, yeah, but what are you really? And she would say, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm an American. Um, you hinted, I guess, at uh, her performances on Southern stages with white dancers at the time of segregation. She had run-ins that with the KKK, like run-ins that were absolutely, I would think, terrifying. What did she tell mm-hmm. you about some of those moments? You know, whenever Raven would share stories with me, I never had this feeling of pity or, you know, that she was a victim, though I, I, she was. Um you know, it, it was a story that, you know, something that happened to her and lessons that she learned within these experiences, which I find just incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she, sharing these stories about, you know, uh, preparing to go to the theater and perform, which already takes an incredible amount of focus and strength and, and mindset to to get to that point. And, you know, on the way to the theater, the tour bus would be stopped by KKK members who would come onto the bus and be looking for the Black dancer in the group and threatening her life. She looked at these people with kind of a broader a broader way of seeing the world where it was like everyone's experiencing something in their lives we've all been taught these things by someone before us and it's not necessarily that person's fault and she just looked at everyone as human beings that have flaws as crazy as it sounds you know her not taking it personally yeah. I learned so much about how to have empathy for other people and grace and um, the incredible hope that she always had. She's you know, forever an, an optimist. I think that you can truly see who someone is on stage yes. when you're in the most vulnerable, naked state. I think you truly see their, their heart and their soul and their spirit. We have a clip uh, we should say also, uh, Raven had a glorious run, a really glorious run with Ballet Russe, especially in the in the early years be- before some of the trouble that we're talking about. Um, we do have a clip of her talking about a conversation that led her to quit. So have a listen to this. It was suggested that perhaps I'd come to the end of my time in Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo. And uh, she put it this way, we couldn't have a black swan queen and uh, that I should get out and start a company of my own doing African dances. I had studied classical ballet. I'd given my life and love to it. She had seen it. That's Raven Wilkinson talking about her decision to leave Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo in 1960. Misty, what do you make of what we just heard? Hmm. Uh, um, it's It's really... It's really sad that, you know, 60 years, however many years, you know, since Raven experienced or had that conversation with the dancer was Nina Novak, Mm. uh, who was a principal ballerina with the Ballet Russe, um, that so many dancers to this day experience that same, uh, you know, being being detoured, being being told that this is not 
uh, the the career path for them. And, and for whatever reason, assuming that they're trained and experienced and passionate about something else that, you know, just because Raven or myself or so many other dancers are African-American doesn't mean that we are experts in African dance and, and that's what we should be doing when we've spent most of our lives being dedicated to and training in this art form. Why are we any less qualified than anyone else, you know, who has trained in this field? So it's so disheartening that Raven, you know, never had the opportunity to be the white swan Odette Odile in Swan Lake and, and so many other opportunities um, in principal roles because of closed-minded people and, and the closed-minded art form at times. If we fa- fast forward in time to when you were cast as Odette Odile in in Swan Lake, how did Raven react to your casting? It's so funny because she had told me before that she's she knew I could be the Swan Queen. And after seeing me perform the role of the Firebird in Stravinsky's Firebird, she was certain I could do it. But once I was actually cast, she she said, well, I, I knew you could do it, but I just didn't know it would ever happen. Oh. I didn't know it would ever happen in my <laughs> lifetime. Um, so she was a bit shocked even. Um, but, you know, what gives me so much pride and I don't know, closure, if that's the right word, but knowing that Raven got to witness me be promoted to principal dancer and she got to witness me be the Swan Queen. And the photo of the cover of The Wind at My Back is Raven presenting me with flowers in my debut in New York City at Lincoln Center of of the Swan Queen of us uh, in Swan Lake and it was one of the most fulfilling moments for me on stage. You know, Raven never had the opportunity to perform at Lincoln Center, or not at Lincoln Center. She per- she performed at the uh, State Theater, it was called then, at the for the opera. But she never performed at the Metropolitan Opera House on that stage. And it felt like this was her moment to, to hear the crowd just erupt when she entered the stage. And she undulated her arms like wings. It was such an incredible moment. And to literally and metaphorically give someone else their flowers, right? It's, mm-hmm. That's really yes. something. My guest here is Misty Copeland, a principal dancer at American Ballet Theater in New York. Her new book is about her mentor, Raven Wilkinson. It is called The Wind at My Back. We were just talking a moment ago about about your turn in, in Swan Lake, playing the lead, Odette Odile. Uh, you write in the book about struggling to accept that you deserved this role. And I think most people in many jobs can can relate to the feeling of of imposter syndrome, maybe if mm-hmm. that's what it was. What was going yeah. through your mind? Why were you questioning whether you deserved it? You know, when you're stepping into this history where you've never seen yourself reflected and dancers again and again of color are told this is not a role that you can dance. This is not a role that was made for you. Even just being in the ballet Swan Lake is something that, you know, the ballet world has grown in terms of just having black and brown bodies be a part of the corps de ballet, you know, whereas we've been told that we will ruin the aesthetic um, of these ballet blanc ballets where it should just be white bodies wearing white tulle anything other than that will 
take from the integrity of the choreography and vision. Um, so, you know, there's all of that on my shoulders. Um, the expectation of, you know, if, if I don't succeed, what does that mean for future generations? Will it be, well, see, Misty just proved us right that Black women cannot perform this role. And, and whatever success looks like to, to all of these different people, you know, there were even articles being written. And before I made my my debut in New York City, you know, if Misty doesn't technically uh, perform to uh, whoever's standards, uh, what will that mean for her future? Um, will she be promoted to principal dancer? So there was a lot of weight on my shoulders and, and I didn't want to let down my community and maybe, you know, take away opportunities for f- the future, you know, black and, and brown women um, in the ballet community. That's a crushing amount of pressure. Yeah. <laughs> how did you, how did you deal with it at the time? Like when you go home at the end of the day after a rehearsal or, you know, wh- whatever your day looks like when you go home at the end of the night, how are you, what are you doing to cope with that massive amount of pressure? You know, it, it was different daily. Um, you know, there were some days where I would just like bury it and, um, you know, I would cry or whatever, whatever that looked like. Uh, it would come out in, in different, different uh, ways. Um, uh, but for the most part, you know, it, you have to just face it and, um, you know, face it dead on and, 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 and have conversations and, and communicate and process. And my husband, Olu was such a big part of that. And of course, Raven, um, having these conversations and, and knowing that, you know, the important people that I wanted to prove this to, I mean, outside of myself, were the people that were there that had seen my growth and progress throughout my career, you know, Raven and so many of my mentors, but also ABT's artistic staff who had known me and and worked with me since I was 16 years old, that it was those voices I should be listening to and um, and not the outside chatter and, and crit- critics. Was there a moment for you on stage where you were like, okay, I've done it? Mm. I think every time I perform Swan Lake, I pretty much feel that way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, definitely after my first Swan Lake in Brisbane, Australia, um, I I remember just that that feeling of of accomplishment, Um, you know, that I, I gave it my all. I've been focused for, you know, a year preparing for this role. I've done everything that I should have done and I did it. And, um, and it's an, an incredible feat and, uh, and a proud moment again, every time I, I tackle that role. Yeah. There's a colossal challenge in that role that people wait for. It's the fuetes, the 32 mm-hmm. fuetes in a row where you're on one leg and spinning, spinning around, um, mm-hmm. 32 times. This might be such a dumb question, Misty, but like, are you counting when you're spinning around that fast? <laughs> <laughs> How do you um, know? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's part of what we learn from a young age when you enter the, you know, into, into dance and into ballet, you know, you're not just learning the, the technique of, uh, the physical technique of, of the ballet. Um, but you're also learning music and how to count music. So when you're doing the 32, 
to fuetes. It's more of um, like bars of music that you're that you're counting rather than one, two, three, four. You know, with the sections of music, you know, will be eight counts and. But yes, I guess you are counting in some way. <laughs> oh, see, there you go. Yeah, it kind form. of was it kind of was a dumb question, but I'm glad that you explained it in that way because it's just I mean, I can't imagine the feeling. I can't I, I can't imagine. <laughs> I wanted to know, I had to ask, and it was very gracious of Misty Copeland to explain that so well. That was the first part of our conversation talking about her memoir called The Wind at My Back. You'll hear more of our conversation coming up in just a little bit. Misty will talk about the risks she's taken in her own career to speak out against racism. She'll talk about confronting blackface in ballet, which is shocking, but yes, it exists. Don't go anywhere. More with Misty Copeland coming right up here on Q. I'm Talia Schlinger, sitting in for Tom Power. Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q, and we're in the middle of my conversation with Misty Copeland. She's a principal dancer at American Ballet Theater in New York. She's also the author of a memoir about a fellow ballet trailblazer and her late mentor, Raven Wilkinson. The book is called The Wind at My Back, and... uh, I read it. I ripped through it. I loved it. Misty writes in this book not only about her relationship with Raven, but about the pressure of being the first black woman to become principal dancer at the American Ballet Theater and why she feels really strongly about calling out racism in classical ballet. Here's the rest of our conversation. There's a story towards the end of the book where you call out the Bolshoi Ballet, one of the most powerful companies in the world. Would you tell that story? Yes, um, you know, it's such a, again, you know, having having lost Raven and feeling this loss of camaraderie and understanding from another Black dancer and who would have given me, um, I think, really insightful tools and how to deal with a situation like this coming from her experiences. But a couple of the young Black dancers at American Ballet Theater brought this to my attention. I'm not not super savvy on social media and always following what's happening. Um, (laughs) But there had been some young dancers from the Bolshoi who posted some images of them from a ballet called Le Bayadere, um, where, you know, in, in some European companies, they still perform blackface in some of the ballets uh, within the ballet repertoire. So Le Bayadere being one of them. And these dancers were in full body black <laughs> and 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 face as well. And, and actually had also posted some video of them dancing to hip hop music in blackface and oh dear um 
And, you know, I posted the images and I said, this is the state of ballet world. I don't, I'm not sure what I thought the, the uh, reactions would be, but, but I wanted people to understand how far behind we are within the ballet community and, you know, how far we need to go and why it's important that I talk about race. Because often people say, I don't understand why you still are talking about being a Black dancer. Like, move on, let it go. You're, you know, you're at this place, you're getting these opportunities, and it is still so important. And this was a, a, a clear reflection of the the lack of um inclusion um, and blatant racism that still exists in our world. And, um, you know, the response was extreme hate, you know, from from people commenting, as well as the Bolshoi um, doing interviews saying that they refused to change their practice and that this was not uh, their problem. This is an American problem and, and it doesn't have anything to do with them. Wow. And you wrote in the book that you were asked by ABT, the company that you had been with since you're 16 years mm-hmm. old, to apologize. Yes. Not for saying <laughs> anything, not even for saying anything. I mean, there's a million things you could have said about this, but right. all you said was this is the reality of the ballet world, and you were asked to apologize. Mm-hmm. I kind of can't wrap my head around what that would feel like to be asked mm-hmm. that question. You know, it it was... It felt very similar to what I'd experienced my whole career, which is not having support or understanding of what it is to be a minority, (laughs) what it is to be the only a lot of times and to experience what a lot of Black dancers experience. And so um, as hurtful as it was, it wasn't that unexpected or not normal. and, you know, I I listened um, to what he had to say, my artistic director, and, and I said I was not going to apologize, that this was a stance I was taking and I didn't feel that I, I did anything wrong. The argument was that they felt that the, the dancers were young that posted this and that I, I was bullying them by reposting it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What what do you think it's cost you to be so vocal about racism in the ballet world? I think that there I don't I don't know if it would be any different actually if I didn't speak out um I think simply by being a black dancer and by being different and not fitting the mold uh you know I'm I'm maybe not given the same credit or respect that other dancers get. But again, I don't know if it's if if it's really reflected on you know the fact that I um, am an advocate for black and brown dancers in in this world. Well, you are doing such incredible work on stage and off, and I thank you for it. And thank you so much for the conversation. I'm sure you're doing Raven very proud. Thank you so much for having me. This was really really awesome. That's my conversation with Misty Copeland, Pure Grace. She's a principal dancer with American Ballet Theatre, and we were talking about her book, The Wind at My Back. That's it for this episode of the podcast, but you can find another one in your feed today if you dare. It's my chat with filmmakers Danny and Michael Filippo, who made a movie called Talk to Me. If you heard of uh, Hereditary or Midsommar by Ari Aster, this is the, the kind of film that gets under your skin and stays with you. I had to 
watched it through my fingers and barely, barely opened my eyes and look at this movie. And then I was scared for days, as you will hear in my chat when I confess that to the directors. But they actually have a surprisingly heartfelt reason behind making this film and some of their creative choices. They've been making films together since they were little kids. They're identical twins. You can find our very lively chat in your podcast feed. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. I'll see you next time. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.